0: Good morning. Good morning Rock Bible Church. Merry Christmas. We we still can say it, right? I mean, I know technically it's it's been over for a couple hours, but I refuse to give up. If there's food left over, you should still be able to call it Christmas. So, uh Merry Christmas. I hope it went well. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're nice to your family. And uh And now come the Christmas withdrawals, right? Recovery, cleaning, doing dishes, all that kind of stuff, Uh, leftovers, the whole thing. Um, That's our morning this morning. We're going to talk about Christmas withdrawals, okay? Uh, Let's jump in. Welcome, Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community, compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all To worship, be in a community that serves the greater community, and uh, that's what we're trying to do. And and we're one more year into it, and with hopefully many more to come, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. But we do praise God for uh, what He has done here and what He'll continue to do, Uh, and what all of you do with the way we support all the different things we do as a church uh, from the ministry to Vietnam, all the way down to what we do with the kiddos uh, in Sunday school and everything in between. So thank you very much for that. Uh, We are finishing up our Christmas series of Fear, Favor, and Fortune. The idea that uh, the original Christmas story had a lot of question marks, a lot of nervousness, new information, um, never been seen before. And uh, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, today the wise men. We're going to get into the wise men. Some people like to say the magi. I don't feel that sophisticated, so I just say the wise guys. Um, uh, but so many questions and concerns. And is, is this real? Is, it, is God really acting? Is this really Messiah? And those that had the faith to really push through, um, they had to push through the fear and kind of look for favor before it was maybe there. Um, But eventually, they found their self in fortune, and we get the great fortune of what we know of God and experience in Him through uh, Christ Jesus and uh, what His arrival means to us. Um, Now, you can imagine, uh, just like you today are having a little bit of Christmas withdrawals after baby Jesus was born, well, that's when the wise men show up. And there's a story that continues after just uh, the birth, right? Um, And we're going to get into that this morning. Uh, Brent did um, a little bit of Matthew chapter 1 last week. Today we're going to do Matthew chapter 2. And so we're going to continue our series, wrap up uh, series number 5, Fear, Favor, and Fortune, uh, with Christmas withdrawals. Let's pray and then... um, we will hit the ground running. Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you for uh, yesterday, for what it represents, mostly for your son, for the fact that you care about us, care about him enough that you had him come live on this earth, set an example, teach, tempted in every way, sacrifice for us. I pray, Lord, that um, we continue to Explore who he is, who you are, um, how it all works, Lord, what was your intention, and I pray, Lord that uh in some ways we'd be able to look view view every day as Christmas when it comes to our spiritual side and our relationship with you. so bless this time, Lord, may we read your word with understanding and application uh, may you make it clear. The things you want us to know. And so I pray, Lord, all this in your son Jesus' name. We pray this. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh we've been going through mostly Book of Luke, our our first uh four or so of these, um of this series. I think there's actually like six or some or something like that. Uh, but uh we're gonna we jump over to Matthew for a little bit different story. Uh Luke, we get the shepherds. Uh, and we get more of the Mary story. Matthew, we get a little bit more of the Joseph story, and it's really not even the Joseph story. It's a little detached. It's more of like a news reading. Um, Luke feels like a little more personal. Uh, This one can feel a little bit more like uh, reporting the story, and some of it's negative. That's why I feel like it's the media or the news. But uh, it's fun. It teaches us some great things. Let's jump in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So uh, here we have these uh, wise men. We don't see them in Luke, but they see a star. We find this out um, through different passages. It says right there. And they attribute it to something supernatural. They're they're trying to figure out what is this thing that's drawn our attention. Uh, You know, back in their culture, uh, uh, when nature changed, or if it was any kind of drastic, they attribute it to the supernatural, right? They had gods for all kinds of things. Uh, So this was not uncommon for somebody to just follow a star, Um, You know, when there was a big storm or there was a famine or something like that, they would say, oh, God was angry or God was mad or good rain. You know, oh, God's blessing us. They're coming to look for something. Uh, And they must have known a little bit more than just the nature because what do they say? They say, who has been born King of the Jews? You know, it's, it's important for us to remember that throughout Jewish culture and history for generations... There was an idea, an expectation of this Messiah that was coming, this deliverer, this Savior, so much that people from other lands knew the story. That's pretty cool. This is how anticipated Jesus was. Um, At least the concept of a Messiah was. Uh, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Some some rich wise guys show up in town. Everybody knows, right? Rumor mill starts going around. Herod finds out. Hey, why are they here? They get the story. Verse four. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, this is still uh, Herod. He assembles them all. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Well, why would you ask a bunch of people that? Why? how, How could they even know that? Right? You know, for us, we think of it's like it's all. Uh, chance and it happened in this place. And it was just because that's where Joseph was born, and so they went back for the census. Actually, there's a lot more to it. That's super common sense. He draws them all together because they knew scripture, they knew prophecy. It didn't, it didn't uh, so much draw all the people together as he brought together who the chief priests and the what's that word. Starts with scribe and ends with ibs. The scribes. Uh, what's in the name? Scribe. What does a scribe do? They scribe. Yeah. Right? They write stuff. What are they writing? They're copying. They're making copies and they're studying Old Testament, the law. These asking the experts... Hey, do you have any information on some weird prophecy? These guys just showed up in town. They've got a bunch of gifts. You know anything about this? And they said, oh, yeah, that one's easy. Bethlehem. Watch what they say. Uh, Where was the Christ to be born? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written, right, scribes, by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. See, they knew Micah. And Micah was more than just the guy who plays the drums sometimes on Sundays, right? Uh, Micah was a prophet and wrote down about this coming Savior. He said, Yeah, coming from Bethlehem. Here it says, right, second half of verse 6 For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd. My people, Israel. So when they say, "Hey, where did the king of the Jews? Where was he born?" They turn to this verse and say, "Oh, it must be Bethlehem, because we're going to get a ruler and a shepherd out of there." Right. One of the great things we understand and believe about Christ is He's the combination of a prophet, priest, and king—king, king, ruler, priest, and prophet. Shepherd the people, right? Love that. Uh, verse 7, and Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Boy, this he's a researcher, right? Or he's a detective, investigator. He wants to know the information. He wants to know where, and now he's finding out when. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Anybody believe him? He says he wants to know where this uh, other ruler is. How, how do kings do with other kings in their land? Right? A kingdom can only have one king. So we understand why Herod wants to find him. He wants to get rid of him. In fact, we're going to get proof of that later in the passage, so you know I didn't just make it up. Uh, after listening to the king... they listened to the king? Why did they listen to him? Interesting. We're going to get to that uh, in, in a bit when we get to our fillings. ins uh, They went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, Until it came to rest over the place where the child was. There's all kind of miracle in that. We're gonna get to that another day, okay? I know there's more information there, but we're gonna work on that another time. Uh, Verse ten: When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's that's a very technical sentence. What's it really saying? Like in street language, they are happy. They're excited. They're almost they're ready to party. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Everything that they'd been told, everything that they'd seen, everything that they heard from probably Herod, because remember, they meet with Herod after he meets with the scribes and the chief priests. It all just happened. They, they just got proof, confirmation. Yes, this got to be real. It's a great, great moment for them. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Hmm. They were listening to Herod. Now who are they listening to? Whoever's in the dream, right? Uh, probably was Angel. Okay, that's a pretty common way for uh, God to... Um, act. And we'll see that in another spot here in a minute. Um, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's, let's not go back the same way we came. We could uh, run into Herod. We could have run into some opposition. Um, so they, they changed course a little bit, uh, but they got confirmation a Christmas. Now, they also had a Christmas withdrawal. Didn't they? Not withdrawals like from an addiction, but they had to withdraw from Jesus and leave another way. Okay, yes, we did play on the double meanings, but uh, you're going to see the word here in a minute. I didn't just come up with on my own. Uh, Now, when they had departed, verse 13, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Remember, I said it was probably an angel. That's why. What's he say? Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child, to kill him, to murder him. It says destroy. Same concept. Uh, hey, Joseph, you know this whole plan that you've been believing me on. This whole plan that you couldn't, re- you couldn't fathom how Mary would be pregnant or that we would have to travel or show up and there's no room at the end, that whole thing, that's all in jeopardy because we have an insecure king, power hungry. Uh, You need to get moving because we need to preserve the plan. Verse 14, and he rose, took his child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Christmas withdrawal, right? and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Love that. Uh, Hosea, I believe it is. Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, Reference to another uh, Old Testament prophet talking about Messiah? Mm, Probably not really. Probably what Hosea was talking about at the time was that uh, the Jewish people under Moses, did they, did they come out of Egypt? I called my son, my people, I called them out of Egypt. Remember the Exodus, second book of the Bible, it's the very beginning of the story, right? Right towards the beginning. Hosea is talking about that to prove something else. Here they show, hey, sometimes what you think was just commentary on the past also ends up being prophecy for the future. Boom. Blow your mind. Where God will show up and do something, and it was in print all that time, and then somebody dropped meaning on it. Yes, it meant this for the exodus out of Egypt during Moses' day, but... You know what? It had meaning for future also. Woo! How cool when, when God does double meaning. Yeah? Um, so we get this uh, prophecy, and it says, that, look, this is more proof. You know, as you're coming out of Christmas, one of the questions that we can ask, and one, one of the questions you can ask out of, coming out of a great experience with God, is, oh, maybe it was coincidental. Man, I know at the time it felt real and it was so powerful. But it's been a little while, and it's not as intense, and it's not as powerful. And maybe it was just coincidence. Maybe life isn't that great. Maybe God's not that involved. And uh, this gives us a great reminder that we have to remember the things that are said over time and the the uh, combined amount of evidence in God's favor. Uh, because we're going to get a little distance from Christmas and the excitement's going to die down. Somebody's going to take down the decorations. It's going to be a sad day, right? And we, we kind of can lose the intensity. Um, and really our, our challenge is to not go through Christmas withdrawals. Remember the prophecies. Remember what actually happened. Remember what that means, and that we can have average days, but that does not compromise the existence of God or his intention or our ability to enjoy it. Love that they quote this. uh, Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, who were two years or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Ouch. Two full birth years of boys dead. Horrible. Now, um, how obvious would an under two-year-old be at that point if you're in town? stick out like a sore thumb, right? Uh, Good reason to be in Egypt. Really good reason to be in Egypt. God protect him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even when you think it's over and when you think he's gone, God still has a plan that he's still working. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. Rachel being the mother of uh, 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 Joseph, the favorite and the descendants of Joseph are the Bethlehem area, right? That's why the Rachel reference. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Another little prophecy. Why is it that Matthew keeps quoting prophets? got Micah, Hosea, now we got Jeremiah. I'm sure he's going to throw in uh, Isaiah just for fun at some point. Why, Why all the quotation? You know, Matthew wrote from a very Jewish perspective and he wanted to make sure that we tied the past to the present and to the future. He says, yes, this has been talked about for generations and yes, it's happening right now. And so let's see how God works the future also. That's why we get all these stories about this is where uh, Jesus and Mary and Joseph went after Christmas. You know, Mark and Luke, you don't get the, and John, you don't get the post-birth story much. But Matthew wants to show us kind of the bigger picture. That's why I like thinking of him as like a reporter. We're getting a, a news report, the media on what is going on here. Verse 19, but when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord... Which, by the way, um, did, did Herod win? He had a little competition with God. He lost, didn't he? Uh, how did it end? Herod died. <laughs> I just think that's a little bit funny. You know, uh, We never rejoice in anyone's death, but we do rejoice when God wins. Right? And an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. Here's an angel in a dream again, Right? referenced earlier. Uh, to Joseph in Egypt, saying, uh, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Oh, we're on the run again. For those who sought the child's life are dead. That's how that goes when you compete with God. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Going back. Now watch this. There's a little bit of weird information here, right? But when he heard, verse 22, that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, Oh no, Herod's gone, but the kid's in charge. Uh, Which, by the way, that's a theme in Scripture throughout the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament and you start reading about kings and then their sons, usually the son is bad. Almost always, right? There are very, very few exceptions where the son is good, right? Jesus being one of them. That makes him unique in the story compared to us. Fun little theme. So uh, Archelaus, uh, probably not a good guy. Apparently, according to the commentary and content of what Matthew's writing, says, oh yeah, this would be obvious to everybody. If the son's in charge, well, this is a problem. He was afraid to go there. Afraid to go where? Back to Bethlehem. Why? He'd have the only under two-year-old of that age group, and it wouldn't matter what time or how many years later, you know, you, get, you take the kid to school, wait, wait, where's all the other five-year-olds? Well, we don't have any five- or six-year-old boys, remember? You'll be the only boy in the class with all the girls. Well, that'll stand out. How easy will it be for Archelaus to find little Yesu? That's his Greek name, by the way, Jesus. Pretty easy to find him. So they don't go back to Bethlehem. Why? Because God knew all this and he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream withdrew to the district of Galilee and went to live in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. There we have another quote from the prophets again. And we have a fun little thing that goes on here. Let's get to that in a second. Hey, may the Lord bless the reading of his word the day after Christmas. Amen? Amen. And every day. Um, why all the little prophecy things? You know, oh, they proved that he was from Bethlehem because that was he born. Prove that he's from Nazareth right here. Prove that he came out of Egypt. Why, why, why would Matthew be getting into all these weird little side conflicts and pieces of detailed information? Here's why. Because these people who knew all the prophets, these people where the, where the king could pull aside the chief priests and the scribes and say, hey, where's he supposed to be born? And they know like that, oh, that's easy. You can find it right here. Um, they all knew that uh, the Messiah was supposed to be a Nazarene, but a Bethlehemite? Wait, how, those are opposite sides. One's north, one's south. How could that be You? And by the way, Egypt, he's supposed to come out of Egypt. Wait, which one is it? This doesn't make sense, and the skeptics, you know, could take those three things and still do to this day. Oh, the Bible's inaccurate. No, you just lack any study of it. You're just ignorant on what it really means and how it all ties together. Because when you tell a story with Matthew, just in one little chapter, 23 verses, he says, Oh yeah, of course, Galilee, Nazareth, and Egypt all make sense. In fact, they make sense because there was this knucklehead uh, Herod, and he was trying to kill children, and the wise men showed up, and boom, boom, we get all these stories. Oh, wow. It does make sense. You know, it's very easy for us to come out of Christmas and say, yeah, I enjoy the experience. And it's also easy for us to nitpick at it Pull out the things we didn't like. Oh, it should have been this. It should have been that, and da da da. And I'm, uh, I got to go back to work on Monday, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And and we withdraw from Christmas, and we move on. We had to be careful about that. We really got to be careful about that. Uh, let's look at a couple things here, um, and then uh, we'll be on our way. Uh, what what do we need to remember coming out of Christmas? As we withdraw, as as you know, we come out. You know, we have the the shepherds withdrew. Joseph and Mary withdrew down to Egypt, then they withdrew back up. What do we think about? What do we remember in the middle of this? I think the first one is this, Um, learn to listen based on the source. Learn to listen based on the source. Listen to what? Listen to life. Listen to what's going on. Um, Have you recognized that there's bias in the world? Turn on any media source and try to figure out what's their bias. And then you can pretty much watch everything they do from that bias and almost guess what they're going to say. When a story comes out, two different uh, outlets can come up with opposite stories and do on purpose. Why? Because they have an agenda. We have to recognize the source. We need to read the room. We need to be listening and learning how to listen. You know, the uh, wise men were, were brilliant. I love the point where it says, and listening to the king, right? They listen, try to figure out if he's a good source. But by the end, what does it say? Uh, they decided, being warned in a dream, to leave another way. They figured out, uh, maybe you shouldn't be listening to the king. Maybe you should be listening to other things. What's the priority? What's being promoted? Uh, pretty interesting to see what's going on. Who is uh, the king listening to, by the way? He brings in the chief priests and the scribes. Does he listen to them? He sure does. He considers them as a source. Why? For information. But does he consider them as a source for truth, like overarching truth? No. In fact, who is the source that King Herod listened to? It's the answer implied in the question, right? Um, When you become your own source, you're in trouble, right? When you listen into yourself, you have an audience of one uh, because nobody else is listening. And we we struggle with this one as humans um, because, you know, the king says something we like and, oh, let's go with that. Right, And that's how social media works, by the way, and how media works. They, they tell some story that has a bunch of information to gets you all flared up, and then you click, or you listen, or you tune in. They say, oh, that gets people to tune in. So they feed you more of that stuff. It's super dangerous because it's like a drug. And you need to come off of it and go through withdrawals. Right, We've got to learn um, what the best sources are. And I think it's interesting that um, uh, Joseph keeps getting dreams and angels keep telling him stuff, right? Which was in Luke as well, the story where we get Mary and we get Elizabeth and, and their pregnancies and their husbands. These angels keep, keep coming and talking to all of them. All four of them got angels leaving them, giving them messages. At some point, all four of them decided to listen and they decided they were a source. And I just, I get a chuckle, I get a chuckle thinking about Joseph after everything that's gone on. And he's, now he has the baby, right? Innkeeper didn't have space for them. Go sleep with the animals. Here comes shepherds. Oh no, here's wise men. Here's that Herod's after him. All these things are going on. She did actually have a baby, right? These were all the things he was told would happen. They actually happen when the next angel shows up in a dream. How attentive is Joseph? Wait, hold on just a second. I need a pen. I want to take some notes here. <laughs> Say it again. Where am I supposed to go? Egypt? Okay, which is there a route I should take? You know this guy was absolutely paying attention. Listen to every single word. What should I take with me? Uh, how do I care for Mary? Does the baby need anything? You know, He probably, the angel, had absolute attention from Joseph. is this a man who's learning how to listen to god as a source because that's where the angels come from folk that's a learned behavior that's first word learn right at first listening to god listening to scripture even reading it in the first place by yourself for yourself on your own those kind of things are things you have to at some point initiate and start and decide do i buy this or not? walking on water come on healed by just a touch eh, I don't know how come they didn't kill him earlier than that that's one have been one of my questions you know they eventually crucified him but they had plenty of opportunities before that. Why didn't you get them early? There's so much of it that doesn't make sense if you want to look at it from a skeptic's point of view. But coming out of Christmas, I look back at the body of work, the overwhelming amount of evidence, and say, hmm, I think I got to listen to this. And maybe instead of asking, does it fit? I should start asking, how's it fit? Because it obviously fits. I'm just yet to know. I'm still figuring out. I'm the one that's short. The story is not short of information or evidence or detail. I'm just catching up on my understanding of it. For me, that's glorious, folks. Uh, So that's learn to listen, right? Learn to listen. We get an example of that in verse 13. The second one's um, a little more fun. Uh, running from something, right? They, they run from, right? They're running from Herod. They're running from, well, at least uh, the wise men and Mary and Joseph are running from Herod. They're running from Bethlehem. Uh, at one point, they start running from Egypt when they go back, right? Um, there's all these questions. When you're running from something, it really requires you run to You just run from, you wander aimlessly. Unless you find a run to, you're not going to make any progress. You could find yourself in the same problem you were in before. In fact, the reality is uh, when you run from, you are running to. Best if we're clear on what we're running to. Sometimes we think we're just running. It's like, no. You have preferences and tendencies that you're going to run towards when you run from something. When you figure out how, how we do that, what's your pattern, and what, is, what does God want us to run to? Because the ultimate, I mean, we're at church, it's a Sunday, I'm a pastor, and it's a service, and I'm about to ask you, what are you supposed to run to? That one's easy, right? Run to God. The, the question really should be not, uh, should I, but how do I? How do I run to God? You know, you will not have a Joseph experience. Period. Not going to happen. You're not going to have multiple dreams where angels show up and give you very specific information like that. You're going to have a different experience. But for Joseph, he knew how to run to God. It's when the angel shows up and starts talking, take notes, and then get up, get moving. God might have a different message for you. Uh, Stay where you are. Stay put. Engage with so-and-so a little more. Invest a little in this. How about cut that out? Uh, Whatever it is, what works for you? Small groups don't work for everybody. (gasps) Did he say that? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't work for everybody. For some people, it's a godsend in the truest sense of where that word originated. A small group is amazing. For some people, singing. right? I'm not that guy. I don't turn on worship songs and listen while I'm driving. I, for, I mean, every once in a blue moon right? I look out and I say, oh, the moon's blue. I guess I should turn on some worship music while I'm driving and listen to it, and it does something for me. I'm just not that guy. But I can't tell you how many times people have told me, I was riding the other day and listening to worship music, and oh man, I started thinking about this. And then I was wondering, and so they, they run down this great trail with God of something they're running to. But at some point, we have to decide we're willing to get up and get moving and not just listen, but do something about it. Christmas is wonderful if you get presents and lights, a little time off work, maybe a bonus in the check, right? Everybody like a bonus in the check. But how horrible if you miss the whole story and do nothing about it. What kills me about Christmas is not point number one, listening and hearing that God's a source and the baby Jesus. and then, That's not the part that kills me about Christmas. The part that kills me about Christmas is most people stop there. It's a great story. Let's celebrate it once a year. I'll come to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Amen. All right? great. At what point will you start running to it? Instead of running from it. You know, Herod was running too, wasn't he? He was running from his insecurities and his power struggle and the whole thing. He was running to total dominance and try to eliminate. It brought him to a place of crazy. Killing kids? What? That's that's the progression of uh, pursuing your own things. That's where it leads to. Horrible, nasty, sick, twisted. Pick an endeavor that you could chase, and it will eventually lead to something dark and wrong. If it's more important than everything else, if it's more important than God. You know, the reality is we should be running from everything at some point and running to God and all the things that we do, and everything that we pursue, regardless of whether it's Christmas or Christmas is over. Every day should be Christmas. Not for the fun and the lights and the celebration and the gifts and all that, no. Every day should be Christmas because we need a Savior. And we think of Christmas as this great time where we get all this great stuff. What you get is protection from yourself, which I need. Poster child. Poster child. Who needs help, protection from themselves? When they make that poster, my face can be on it, right? Uh, I can get myself in tons of trouble and do. How do I protect myself? I listen to the right sources, and then I run from the things I should run from, and I run to God best I can, right? And then I find verses to justify everything that I do, all right? Here we go. Uh, Last one. Move toward his plan... For fulfillment. I, I don't know if you caught it, but this word showed up a whole bunch of times in the passage. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, right? Um, why so many times? And yes, we want to understand that Matthew was writing from a historical perspective and wanted to tie the past to the present to give us a vision of the future. I know I covered all that. I just said it twice, so you made sure you got it, right? It's a little speaking trick. Um, But I think there's a deeper thing going on here with this fulfillment idea. And I alluded to it. I kind of joked about it, and I think it's really, really fun. Did God win or did God lose in his little competition with Herod? This is the interactive portion of the morning okay you people at home watching online the 20 plus whatever I don't know hey thank you I know you guys probably answered out loud people here are struggling this morning okay so you say it out loud at home and maybe they'll hear it here okay In a little competition between God and Herod did God win yes. he sure did every single time And uh, reading through this, studying it, preparing for the morning, this fulfillment word kept kind of flicking me in the side of the head. Hey, fulfillment's not just the prophet was right. Fulfillment is a reminder that God gets what he wants always. There is no exception to the rule, which is sad for me because I'm always looking for the exception to the rule. I really am, right? But we get all these different references, 5, 15, 17, 23, all these references to prophecies. More than just to to tell you that a prophet knew this so that we believe then God was telling us so we'd recognize it when it happened. More than that, God's trying to make sure we understand he wins. In In the minute, small thing that nobody else cares about he wins in that one to the biggest most grandiose most powerful i can't even conceive it but you have power over death everything in the between then whether a storm comes or goes or whether somebody can float on water for a little while or whatever that's all that's all piddly stuff compared to conquer death there's a thing where we have to do in our own head, in our own psyche, as we listen and as we run during all withdrawals from whatever we go through. We have to ourselves move toward not just fulfillment, but an idea that it's his plan. He said, I'm going to show these... I don't think he says knuckleheads. I just, the way I think of it. I'm going to show these people... Over and over and over, as many different ways as possible, I fulfill my stuff, period. Maybe if I do it enough times, they'll finally get it. <laughs> How's it working? It's slow, you know? Um, How do we know that that's going to ultimately be true? That everybody will move toward his plan? If he wants to do that, he just gave the prophets the information, they wrote it down so we would know, like all these clues, makes them come to fruition, the whole thing. If that's his plan and, and he never loses, how do we know that he's going to win on this, that everyone is going to move toward his plan of fulfillment, that every knee will have to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Oh, wait, I just quoted the verse that is the proof that he's going to win on that one too. Will we ever have enough information? Absolutely. Will we accept it when we have enough information? I don't know. You know, juries get tremendous amounts of evidence and still come up with the wrong verdict. Worst version of that is God's given you everything you need to know about him to believe, and you still say, "Eh, I'll try it later. You know, see, at some point, he's going to make sure everybody knows and confesses, stands before him, and says, Yep, you're right, God. And I was wrong. You know, Isaiah gets into this um, Isaiah 28 16. This is one of the famous um, passages, prophecies toward uh, Christmas. It says, uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone. It's a great, great little phrase. It's, uh, you know, a, a, a stone is forged by fire from molten rock or whatever, and they're the gr- they're the greatest building piece because they're solid. You make a brick, you can build some great stuff with brick. What's more what's more ha- has more integrity, a stone or a brick? There's things in scripture where God says, "Do not use bricks. Use uncut stones." Why? Because they have no flaws. They have no cracks in them. They're not made by man. They're made by who? They're made by God. When you build this, only use uncut stones. Man, it makes sense when you think about it that way. What's a tested stone? It's a stone you've dropped a few times and banged it a few times. You realize, yeah, there's no cracks in that. That thing is solid. Love that. A precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. We can build on that. Whoever what? Whoever believes will not be in haste. It's this idea that we've we've set it up for you to win. Now, Paul in Romans takes this and, and expands on it a little bit, right? Why he's making an argument. Why? Why this argument? Because they did not pursue it by what? Faith. See, we have to move toward the plan of fulfillment. But as it were, based on works. They pursued it as if it was based on works. And how'd that go for them? Poorly. That's the argument that he's making. Verses 31 and previous. Why did it fail? Because they thought they could do it instead of believing that God has a plan and God's doing it. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. I lose my mic. Here we go. As it behold, I am laying a stone uh, in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Great reference. We have to act like it will be fulfilled. You know, there's a way to go through life where you can just kind of do your thing and, you know, take things in as they happen. It's like, oh, I'm a spectator. Oh, oh, that did work. Oh, it didn't work. Um, Or there's actively participate. How do I be a, a part of the fulfillment rather than just witness it? If you're a part of it, you witness it as well. But if you're just a witness, you didn't get to participate, and you miss out, and you're going to go through Christmas withdrawals. Amen. Uh, what do you need to listen to? What sources do you need to cut out? When do you need to run from? How can you run to Him? Uh, what do you doubt the most that he will fulfill? <coughs> Try him on it. Ask him about it. If can't ask, maybe just tell him about it. I don't like this one, God. I don't like how this is going. I want you to fix this. It's better to talk to him from your true condition. Because then you are listening to yourself as a source of your own condition, but not treating yourself as the capital T source. Right? Let's talk to him that way. Father God, thank you for this morning and thank you for uh, this story. Thank you that Christmas does not end with one birth in one town. Uh, thank you that Christmas is about you and your son, your intention, your character, and then in other small ways, we get to benefit. I thank you, Lord, that uh, any of us can come and be baptized like Jim and Chris were after second service, Christmas Eve that we all have a shot at being washed by you. Help us to listen, help us to run the way you want us to. And then I pray, Lord, you allow us to be involved in the fulfillments, making it through. Pray, Lord, that if there's anyone contemplating, questioning, struggling with the things we've talked about today, that they would go directly to you, talk to you about it, pray to you. If that's you, maybe maybe your prayer is, God, like, pull me through this. Draw me through this. We thank you for the for all this, Lord. For this offering that you're about to receive. We pray that you bless it. In Jesus' name. Amen. May you be open to all that he fulfills. Amen. Go with him. Merry Christmas.